Paul's doctrinal um, parting words. He was saying, it is critically important for you to remember as a Christian that you should be sanctified wholly, completely. That means that you are to be justified, sanctified, and know you will be glorified. That complete system that you are free from the power of sin at your justification. You are free, or you're free from the, the, um, the penalty of sin. You are free from the power of sin and that you are free from the presence of sin eventually in the eternal kingdom. So, that is what that is what Paul is saying. This needs to be central in your thoughts. But now in verse 25 to 28, I think he gives us something a bit less doctrinal, but more practical. Something that we should want to apply in our everyday life as a Christian. So verse 25 says, Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So Paul's final words are very practical, and I want to say it's his PS, it's his postscript to these, to these believers here in, in Thessalonica. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the last few verses of a book, I feel like I've, I've gotten to the end now. I can sort of just finish it off. I'm He's just greeting these people. What, what does it mean to me? So, I mean, I, I often scan over it, and when I left these few verses for myself in my last lesson, I thought, what am I going to say about these last few verses? <laughs> I have to do a whole lesson about it. But as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? When I write a letter to someone, someone I care about, I don't, the last few words are not supposed to be just a formality. Sometimes those are the words that I really want to stick with them. As they put this letter down, those are the last words that I really want them to remember. And so I think to just scan over this would be a, a big mistake for us to make. What Paul is saying here is, he says, pray for us. Th- that is critically important. And, and what I want to, these three, these th- um, three verses, 25, 26, and 27, I think sort of Um, overarching message is love and care for the brethren. Love and care for the brethren. He says, pray for us. In other words, pray for your pastor. Pray for those who um, have the oversight over you, who are laborers among you. If you remember in verse 12 um, of chapter 5, it says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, which are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So he's saying, pray for those who labor among you. That is a way in which you show love. That is a way in which you show care to those over you. Then he also says, greet all the brethren. I think this is a way of saying you should be um, friendly and have affection towards one another. As, As congregants, we should love one another. And then also in verse 27, it says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. In other words, Scripture needs to stay central amongst you. In the way you treat one another, in, in whatever it is that you do, it needs to stay central. So you see how practical it is? What are the three things I want to stick, I want to ha- stick with you guys? You need to pray for each other, you need to love each other, and you need to keep Scripture central. So, verse 25, the first PS is, brethren, pray for us. And as I said, this is one way of showing that you love and that you care for someone. 
And if you do not do it, it's one way to check yourself whether you actually love or care for those people. Are you praying for them? Now, Paul specifically says, brethren, pray for us. He's saying, pray for me and those who labor with me. Now, too often, I mean, Paul is not telling them to do something he didn't do. Throughout all his epistles, he's saying, I pray for you. I fervently pray for you. Even in verse 23, he says, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. He was constantly praying for these believers. Now the question is, were these believers praying for him? I think sometimes we, it's a bit skewed. The amount of prayer that goes in from the leadership or whatever into the congregation versus what is prayed from the congregation towards this pastor and those who are laboring with him. It need, this, the balance shouldn't be off. Remember, these are the people who labor among you, verse 12, who, um, who have the oversight of you, admonish you, and to esteem them highly for their work's sake. They are laboring. They are, they are, they are working hard, and we know that. Our pastor works hard. He, he is in it. He wants to um, serve the people as best as he can. And that is why we need to pray for him. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for those who labor. Now, why should we have such an emphasis on prayer for this, the leadership? I think it's because they're a prime, prime target for Satan. They are the ones who are at the forefront fighting so many spiritual battles, helping, being involved in all these things. They need our prayers. And Paul says, brethren, please pray for me. Now, Paul could have asked for, brethren, I need more laborers. It's true, he did. He could have said, brethren, I, I need more money, <laughs> which was probably true, he did. But he doesn't, he says, pray for me. I think Paul says that because he understands that the fundamental thing that causes change, true change, is prayer and that working in that person's heart. It doesn't help you just say, I need more money, and then you have more money, but there's no real mission, there's no real call, there's no real... Whereas if prayer changes someone's heart and that person's heart is in whatever it is that needs to be done, then he will become a laborer and he will give to whatever needs to be done. So it's, he's not emphasizing, I need more funds, although he, he does mention it from time to time, but his emphasis in all of his letters is, pray for me. Pray for me. And so we need to... Take that up. Now, so what are the first, what do we pray for? Turn to Romans chapter 15. Keep your place. Romans chapter 15. What are some of the things? Now, obviously, this will not be an exhaustive list, but there are some things specifically that Paul asks prayer for, which I think we can learn from in Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. Romans 15, verse 30. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus' sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Notice, strive with me. In other words, I'm already praying, strive with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have in Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. In other words, Paul is praying for safekeeping and he's praying for an effectual ministry. That is something we can pray for. We can pray for the safekeeping of our leader, of our pastor, and for effectual ministry. How do I reach these people 
in the Jerusalem <laughs> that God has given you. We can pray for that. Have a look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God that, um, uh, and may be refreshed, and may with you be refreshed. Pray for him for good fellowship, good time off, and good time with people that don't necessarily just drain, but actually build. And so that is something we can definitely pray for, those who labor, who are in the midst and constantly having to give and to give and to give. May they also find time in which they can be refreshed with other believers and just time to, to um, spend time with God and just be refreshed. Have a look at Ephesians chapter 6, something that we can pray for. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You can pray for boldness. Boldness in proclaiming the biblical truth that is written down. If um, perhaps some of you have been living under a rock, but truth, truth has become somewhat subjective. It has become somewhat personal. My truth, your truth, that type of thing. And that has influenced just every way of thinking in our society. Now to boldly stand up and to say, this is the truth. That that takes boldness. That takes courage. And we need to pray that that does not get hindered. That the boldness of the truth of the Scripture is proclaimed inside the church and outside the church. We have a great privilege to have that. You speak to many people who struggle to find that. And what an absolute privilege to have a church where truth and the Scripture is emphasized. And I think we really should not take that for granted. So we, this is something we can pray for. Pray for boldness. Another one, Colossians chapter three, 4. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. What is another thing we can pray for? Verse 3, it says, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Now, this is very similar to Ephesians, but I think something specific here is this open door. These are opportunities. It's not just the courage to speak boldly when you have. It's the opportunity to do that. Different opportunities, different places, different events, different whatever. Give me opportunities that the truth may reach more people. So boldness and then opportunities. And then lastly, let's have a look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Thanks, brother. It's cold. 2 Thessalonians. And verse, uh, chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. 
and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for which, uh, for all have not faith. So pray for the freedom of the Word of God. Now, there's boldness, there's opportunities, and then there's this freedom of the Word of God, which I think is very much likened unto, or let me say, I, I, I think of Romans 13 and this idea of the government allowing evangelism, allowing people to have this freedom of expression, this freedom of um, religion, all of that, so that the Word of God may have free course. And that is something else we can pray for. So, as I said, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some biblical examples that Paul says, pray for this. And so this is something I think, at least start there. <laughs> at least start there um, praying for your leader, your pastor. All right, let's get back to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Brethren, pray for us. Verse 26 says, Greet all the brethren with the holy kiss. Now, um, before you get stuck at the kiss part, let's just, let's just deal with the first few words, right? It says, Greet all the brethren. Do you do that? Is it, is it something that is important to you when we're together to try and make time? Or I mean, you can't, you're not going to get to everyone, but are you trying to greet the brethren? Are you trying to get to know them? Is, is it important for you to make people feel welcome, right? To make them feel cared for. So he says, greet the brethren. This is a basic way, once again, remember, this is a basic way in which we can show love and which we can show care to our brothers and sisters. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. That is John chapter 13, verse 35. So this idea of greeting the brethren, I mean, it sounds so simple, right? Like, I don't really have to speak on it, but... Just ask yourself, is it something that is important to me? Am I trying to get around to greet the brethren, make them feel welcome? And then it says, greet the brethren with, now before we get to kiss, holy, right? A holy kiss. Now, why, why the word holy? Now, what was interesting for me in my personal study is, this word holy is the word hagios in Greek, which is the same word as the word saint in Greek, which is interesting. So in other words, it could, it's almost saying a saintly kiss, okay? So something that's specific to the saints. It's not, it's not holy in the sense that when you're approaching this person, there's like a little oh, angel choir or something going on, something spiritual necessarily, but it's, it's saintly, it's something special. And um, it's also, it, it, it shares the same root with the word sanctify, which sanctifies saint holy. So it's something that should be sanctified, something that should be separate, something that should be special to the saints in the way that they greet one another. And I think the differentiation that Paul is trying to make here is that it shouldn't just be like you're greeting someone at work. It should be something that is warmer. It should be something that is set apart. It should be something that just makes, I know you're my brother. I know you're, you're more than just another person who I'm just being friendly to. There's something special about that. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying we should have some, you know, secret church club handshake or whatever, something like that. I mean, we, we can try something like that. I just don't, I don't know. I don't think that's what Paul was mentioning. I don't know, maybe. 
<laughs> but it needs to be something special. It needs to be something warm. What, um, obviously, this now brings us to the kiss. Now, this is, this is weird in our culture, in our setting, right? But this was not odd for Greek-Roman culture back in the day. Even today, you see a lot of Europeans and people who have been influenced by Greek-Roman culture that they, they kiss each other on the cheek as they greet each other. It's, it's a lot more common in that culture, and especially in those days, than it is in the society we're in today. So this is not supposing anything odd or strange. So I don't think we should need to get stuck on the fact that it is a kiss, but what I found interesting is that every time this saintly greeting as a kiss is mentioned in Scripture, every time it has to do with Paul and a Greek audience, a Roman Greek audience. He speaks about it in Romans, he speaks about it in Corinthians, he speaks about it um, towards the Ephesian elders, he speaks, in all of these cases, every time it's a Greek setting in Paul, saying, I understand that this is your culture. But he then says, not just the kiss, the saintly one. You know, it's something that makes it special between you. So, and what I also found very interesting is that when you look at kiss in the Old Testament between Jews, it was familial. Kissing between Jews was familial. Brother, father, that, it wasn't generally an open thing. It was close. It was an inner circle type thing. Whereas in Greek culture, it was a common open thing. And I think that's why Paul differentiates to say it needs to be a sanctified. It needs to be a holy kiss. Because for the Greek, it was common, so it needs to be something different. It needs to now show, like in Jewish culture, that this is, you're saying something about my family. I am associating that these people are my brethren. They are close to me. And so it's that mix of, I want to say, the Jewish and the Greek tradition that are coming together. Now the question is, why don't we do that? I'm glad we don't do it, but why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? The Bible says, greet each other with a holy kiss, right? So, first of all, it's a different time. And this was common in the early church. And I think it was around the 6th century, after a few church councils, that it was decided that maybe we shouldn't do it anymore. And unfortunately, it's because of misuses of it. There have been indecencies and a whole bunch of things that happened. And so as society turned more to a westernized culture, it became less and less common. And something that replaced it was something, a handshake, uh, a warm gesture, a hug, or whatever the case is. So the focus should not be what is the type of greeting. It should be how, right? What is the heart with which, what is your intention with which you greet that person? Are you truly um, concerned about how they're doing? Are you, are you, do you want to help? Are you um, just really friendly towards them, trying to make a difference in this, in this small gesture that we can do every day? And personalities will differ, and I'm not expecting anyone who's extremely introverted to make this big thing of, no, in your own way, what is your heart towards your brethren? Is it to say, to, to really care for them, to greet them in a way that makes them feel special? All right, let's look at verse 27. Verse 27. It says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Now, the last thing in what I want to say is Paul's PS in terms of this love and care for the brethren is that you need to keep Scripture central. Now, why, what does keeping Scripture central have to do with love? 
What does keeping Scripture have to do with love? And he's not just saying, listen, guys, here's a good idea. Keep the Scripture central. But, you know, try your best. He's saying, I charge you. I command you. You have to do this. This is critically important. Keep Scripture central. Well, it's obvious, but if Scripture was not central, in other words, if this epistle was not read in the church to all the brethren, they would not know to pray for one another as we just, for the leadership, they would not know to, um, to greet each other with this holy kiss as, a, as, a, as a something that Paul wanted them to do. So just from a practical point of view, to love one another, to care for one another, to treat one another from a biblical perspective or out of a biblical perspective, it needs to be common knowledge. But let me, let me, let me create this scenario. Let's say there's a, a brother or a sister who is extremely fearful because they fear that whatever they do could cause them to lose their salvation. Would it be a loving or an unloving thing to correct, correct or teach them scripturally? It would be a loving thing to teach them. Because these people are fearful of spending an eternity in hell if I step out of line and then I need to get back out. Do you understand how it would be an unloving thing to leave them in that error? What about the one that Paul addresses in, in 1 Thessalonians about the rapture? These people were living in fear. These people thought that the day of the Lord had passed and that they missed out, and, or they thought that these people who have died are now not going to have part in the resurrection. Or, like, if Paul did not address it, it would be an unloving thing to leave these people in, the, in their error. So it's a loving thing to keep Scripture central. He answered their questions, he corrected their misunderstandings, and he gave them spiritual and practical guidance. That is the purpose of this book. So the first thing is, Keep Scripture central because it allows for biblical correction. Biblical correction. Not opinion-based correction, not traditional biblical correction. And that is 100% loving. To, neg to neglect sharing the truths with the brethren is an unloving thing to do. So, it is loving to to um, keep Scripture central for that reason. Secondly, I think it's loving to keep Scripture central because the honest reading and preaching of God's Word offers accountability. If God's Word is publicly proclaimed and read to everyone here and there's an expectation in God's Word that is now laid out to say, brethren, we need to pray for our pastor. We need to greet each other with a saintly kiss. Now, that offers accountability. Because you see me, I see you, we know it's not my opinion or your, it's the Bible's opinion, it's the Bible's requirement, it offers accountability. And so to neglect the biblical teaching, preaching and reading of God's word in public is to neglect that structure which God has given the church. That outline which he wants us to live according to. The truth has to be the backbone. The truth of Scripture needs to be, be the backbone. And if you take out God's Word, it becomes the pastor's opinion. It becomes this man's idea or that. It, it just it becomes this, a sinking ship. It's, it's tossed to and fro. We need to be stable. We need to be grounded in God's Word. And that's why it needs to not just be that person knows the Bible and that person knows the Bible. It's we know the Bible. And therefore, we treat one another as the Bible expects us to treat one another. 
we do for one another because that's what the Bible expects. We live in accordance to it, and it, that creates unity. Not because, not because we decided, you know, these are our, this is our vision and our mission, and therefore let's try and unite around that. It's a good idea, but if everybody is saying, whatever God says, that's what I want to do. What more, what better central point for unity should we want? This is what creates unity, and therefore it needs to be kept central. And unfortunately, we see it in today's society, but we saw it in the past when, when in, the, in the times of the Crusades and the early Catholic Church, when Scripture was forbidden for the laymen, when it wasn't even in their language, the, 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 the leadership could do whatever they wanted to. And so Paul does not want it. He says it must be common knowledge. Everybody needs to have access to it. Everybody needs to know it. Because then, by hearing, our faith grows. And when this faith grows, we can actually have a foundation from which we can do something. If you have nothing to push off from, it's, you're not going anywhere. We need that foundation, which is God's truth. Now, verse 28. It says... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul is saying, my heart towards you is that you may experience God's undeserved goodness in your life. Right? That's what grace is. It is getting something. It is a gift that you don't deserve. So may God's goodness be present in your life in a way that you know you don't deserve it. That is a... That is a Simple thought, but is that your heart towards one another? When you hear about someone going through something, when you see someone, is your desire truly to say, may you experience God's grace in your life? And I, I don't want to make it um, a, a weird thing, but there was a man, I didn't know him from Bar of Soap, but he heard of me via a friend, so he knew I was saved and all of that, but I didn't know him. And when he met me the first time, he shook my hand and he said, grace to you. And I was like, what? Grace to you. And that, to me, I mean, I don't think I would easily do that. Like, it feels weird. But he was sincere. And it was so, it, <laughs> it felt like a saintly kiss, that holy kiss. It felt so... It, <laughs> it felt so real that this man, who is an older gentleman, wants to say, may God's grace be with you. Just in a way of greeting. And what I'm saying is, is that, that, once again, I'm not proposing a new method of greeting. I'm not proposing a handshake. But when you sh do you wish that upon your brethren? May, may God's grace be with you. And that just created a lot of warmth and that, that was very special to me. And I, I think in whatever way that you do it, that I do it, may that be the heart in which we treat one another. Paul wanted this grace to be with these believers who he loved so much. Now, Paul wraps up this letter very much in the same way he started this letter. He hasn't veered off point. He sort of said, he greets them. Look at chapter 1. Now remember, Paul spent a very short time with these Thessalonian believers. In Acts chapter 17, we read about how he was essentially there for about 
for about three weeks. He spent this time with these believers there. And then he got chased out by Jewish people who didn't want anything to do with this Christian faith. And so he had to part from them. And so he's sort of catching up with things that have happened since that time. But look at how he starts this letter. He says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. There is the pray for us, brethren. The Silvanus, Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks unto God for you all making mention of you in our prayers. He starts off by saying, may God's grace and peace be with you as you receive this letter. And he says, you are in our prayers. He finishes off by saying, may God's grace and peace be with you, but please remember to pray for us. So the way he starts the letter, the way he finishes the letter, he wants to encapsulate this whole thing in God's grace. And I think that shows Paul's heart toward these people, even though he did not know them as well as he knew, for example, the Ephesians and all of those. So it shows his heart and care. So today, let's remember Paul's PS, that is to pray for those who have oversight, those leaders. It is to keep this friendly, this saintly, welcome spirit um, amongst one another. And ultimately, it is to keep God's Word central as a foundation so that we may grow in this, or so that it may provide hope, so that we may grow from this point um, as we serve the Lord close together. And then finally, may the grace of our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this, for this morning, Lord. It's, it's a privilege to, to be able to get these practical, basic pointers yet, Lord, there. They're fundamental to the way we, we live and treat one another. Lord, may it stick in our heart. Lord, may, it, may we remember to, to pray for one another, especially those who have oversight over us and who labor among us. Lord, may we greet one another with, with love and with care. And Father, as well, we just pray that you would help us ultimately to always keep Scripture central. If, if, if that falls away, all these other things are bound to fall apart. So Lord, help us to love one another and as love, greet, and share the truth and do all of this in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.